Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Thank you, David Schuller, for the opportunity. I want you to know that this is all about you. This is not about me. To God be the glory. I'm just a messenger. I know we're running a little bit late. But I have my orders <laughs> signed and sealed from headquarters. Just a lot went into this. I'm going to need you, sir, and you. Could you please come forward? I need some help. Before I start, I want to say something. Could you guys stand right here? Oh, yeah, just that's good. All right, hold that and hold it high. I just want to show you this rug here. Now, I may be saying, you got to understand, Proverbs 3.3 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, and write them upon the table of thine heart. Scripture was written in, on the tail of my heart with the King James Version. If I say Jesus Christ or if I say Jesus, I'm not trying to offend anybody. You see this? This is the word Jesus in different languages from all over the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He told his disciples, go into all nations, preaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Could you turn it this way? Having said that, his original name is Yeshua. The first language spoken by man was Hebrew. So out of respect, as, as often as I can, I'm going to say Yeshua. I'm going to catch myself and try to say Yeshua. I'm not, now when I say Jesus, I'm not trying to offend the Jews. And when I say Yeshua, likewise, I'm not trying to offend the Gentiles. Now, having thoroughly offended them both, let's get started. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Let's give our helpers a hand. This lesson is very important. God wants you to know all of this. We're talking this, this month on, uh, the, the theme of this month is creation. I believe Genesis 1-1, right, David? Before we start getting into Genesis 1-1, God wants you to know the parable of creation. The parable of creation. Next slide, please. Yeshua, Jesus, spoke in parables. The word parable comes from the word parallel. Three definitions for parallel. Being everywhere, equidistant, and not intersecting, like the two lines you see. Another definition is uh, of or relating to the simultaneous performance of multiple operations. Or number three, which I'd like to focus on, something having the property of being analogous to something else. Next slide. 
parabolic. The word parabolic means something resembling or expressed in parables. Thus, Yeshua, the word that became flesh, the Bible, the word written in written form, as well as life itself, are laced with and hence full of parabolic discussions. Next slide. Yeshua told Nicodemus, I have told you earthly things and you believe not. How shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? That's from John 3.12. Earthly meaning physical or visible. Heavenly, of course, meaning invisible, spiritual. Next slide. So, the utility of parables lies in the fact that even though John 1 says, No man hath seen God at any time, yet Romans 1.20 says that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, all by virtue of the fact that Hebrews 11.3 says, Things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. How be it? Next slide. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Next slide. With regard to the subject parabolic discussions, Yeshua and the prophets used the technology of the revealed knowledge of their time. They used meteorological effects. I believe uh, the prophet Isaiah speaking for God, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 55.10, he says, As the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it might give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. You can see the parable, the parable discussion in there. How about farming? Yeshua said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring forth in bud, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of itself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Or how about nutrition? Yeshua told Satan in the wilderness, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And finally, architecture. What did he say? What did Yeshua say? A wise man built his house upon a rock. A foolish man built his house upon sand. And you know what happened. The rain came and the wind came. And the rock built and the house built upon sand blew away. But the house that was built upon a rock, it stood. How does that song go? On Christ the solid rock we stand. All over the ground is sinking sand. Next slide. Irrespective of the revelations of those ancient times, there were, no doubt, other unenumerated wisdoms resident within God's spirit of wisdom. We're talking about God's spirit of wisdom, which is referenced in Ephesians 1.17. To be dispatched to man at God's discretion in the fullness of time, yielding even more advanced technologies, all by virtue of higher knowledge, which were subsequently enumerated via chemistry, 
Newtonian physics, quantum physics. And I believe the words of Henry Morris, uh, Ph.D., who wrote the book Scientific Creationism, Creationism, he said it this way, and I quote, he says, it seems to be one of the fundamental features of nature that fundamental physical laws are described in terms of a mathematical theory of great beauty and power, requiring a very high level of mathematics for one to understand it. He says, you may wonder, why is nature constructed along these lines? He says, it's just that our present knowledge seems to indicate that nature is so constructed. We simply have to accept it. And as we develop higher and higher mathematics, such as when they went from Newtonian physics to quantum physics, he says, we can only hope to understand the universe better. And then he says something that I really like. He says, one could say, though, that God is a mathematician of a very high order and that he used very advanced mathematics in constructing the universe. Sounds like he was reading that scripture where God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. So, thus God, through his spirit of wisdom, finally revealed to man the first law of thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics, which says that energy can be converted from one form to another, but could be neither created nor destroyed. Energy is simply the ability to do work. Work is when matter is moved or altered. Matter is anything that occupies space. Is this matter over here? Is it moved or altered? That's work. Guess what moved it? Energy. Energy. You can't move matter without energy. And when you move matter, that's work. Okay. Next slide. Now, because God revealed to Einstein this famous equation, E equals MC squared, this equation explains the inner convertibility of energy and matter. He's saying that matter under special conditions can be converted into, into pure energy. Before Einstein did that, there was a, a Frenchman, a French tax collector before the French Revolution. His name was Antoine Lavoisier. Antoine Lavoisier. Because he was a tax collector, he's very rich, he was part of the French bourgeois. He was able to build in his home, his palace, an apparatus in his laboratory where he converted some energy from one form to another, matter from one form to another. And he measured them both, and there was, they, they weighed the same. And he was able to do that, and we documented it, just before he lost his head to the French Revolution, to the guillotine. God let him live to prove that before he died. Antoine Lavoisier. So, the first law is restated in this form. It's now called the law of the conservation of mass energy. And the very best example of that are the equations, next slide, of photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Okay? Dr. Morris says uh, the, available, the available environmental energy, and I quote, is of no avail. Like it's of no avail on the other planets. 
unless it can be converted into specific forms. What specific forms? Carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Of all the foods you eat, your body only recognizes carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Needed to organize and bond the components. What component? Cells, your human cells, your basic component of life, of the complex and ordered structure, cells making organs, of the completed system, organism. Okay? In photosynthesis, what's happening is, is the sun's energy to the tune of 31,000 BTUs, that stands for British Thermal Units, per pound of hydrogen, it's splitting the water molecule. The plants are sucking water up out of the ground, okay? And the sun's energy is performing fo uh, water electrolysis. Remember the water electrolysis you did in, in chemistry class? Where they ran electricity through water and it, and it converted it to, uh, it split the water molecule into hydrogen gas and oxygen gas. Same thing is going on in photosynthesis. But God does it way better than man can ever do it. It's way better than any photoelectric cell, any solar panel that you can think of. It's very efficient. So, you see on line one, for every 12 molecules of water, the sun's energy, it converts it to 12 molecules of hydrogen gas and 6 molecules of oxygen gas. Because of the first law of thermodynamics, you got to have the same atoms on both sides of the reaction. Everything that happens... You have the, the same atoms, the same amount of atoms on both sides of the reaction. With the water, you got um, 12 H2, that's 24 hydrogens. You got 12 times 1 oxygen, that's 12 oxygen. You better have that on the other side. And sure enough, you got 12 molecules of hydrogen gas, which is 2 times 12 is 24. And you got 2 times 6 of oxygen, 12. That's the first law of thermodynamics. Energy can be converted from one form to another, but could be neither created nor destroyed. The oxygen is released into the atmosphere so that we can breathe. That's why the cancer rate is so high. You know, I, I used to talk to flight attendants and pilots who fly to South America. They said in the old days, you fly over the Amazon, it was lush and green. Now it's getting brown. They're cutting down all the trees. That's where oxygen is. Okay. Then it converts the 12 molecules of hydrogen gas and it mixes it on line two with six molecules of carbon dioxide. And it makes one molecule of C6H12O6. You know what that is? Sugar. Sugar is not bad. Sugar is not bad. You can't even do this without sugar. You can't even think without sugar. Sugar is not bad. Now, white sugar is bad. And high fructose corn syrup is a neurotoxin. Okay? The sugar that God gives you is not bad. Okay? It yields one molecule of C6H12O6 and six molecules of water vapor into the air. That's why when you go to tropical places and it's hot and you got all that green, lush vegetation, it's humid. But when you go to Arizona, it's hot and dry. Okay? Now, line three. Animals, such as humans. We eat the one molecule of C6H12O6. We eat the sugar, and we breathe out carbon dioxide and water. And you see how smart God is. The six molecules of oxygen gas came from the six molecules that the plant breathed out on line one. The six molecules of carbon dioxide that we breathe out is a six molecule 
molecules of carbon dioxide on line two that the plant breathes in. The six molecules of water vapor on line two and the six molecules of water vapor on line three, six and six is 12, they go into the atmosphere, come down as rain, and you're back to the 12 molecules of water on line one. It's the circle of life. It's a dynamo effect. It's self-perpetuating. It can go on forever. That's God. That's God. That's how smart God is. That's how efficient God is. Thus, next slide, number 12. Energy is the fundamental physical entity and exists in a variety of interconvertible forms. Everything that exists in space and time is energy, and everything that happens is energy conversion. So, everywhere in space and time, things are happening. Energy is being utilized. Work is being done. Praise God. But the second law says that every system left to its own devices always tends to move from order to disorder. It's basically saying that the simple expenditure of energy is not sufficient to maintain order. A bull in a china shop, the famous bull in the china shop, he performs work, but he neither creates nor maintains organization. The work needed is particular work. It must follow specifications. It requires information as to how to proceed. Next slide. The reason why 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, could be because the second law says that the work needed is particular work. It must follow specifications. It requires information as to how to proceed. Next slide. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The second law of thermodynamics says that every system left to its own devices always tends to move from order to disorder. To disorder. Order promotes life. Disorder promotes death. Next slide. Yes. Entropy. Thank you. Entropy, that famous word entropy, is a measurement of the degree of disorder. Since disorder promotes death, entropy is a measurement of how fast the death process is proceeding. What is entropy? You got a group of adults in a room having coffee. The entropy level is very, very low. Their bad head kids start coming in there and start running all, ripping and running all over the place. The entropy level goes up. The adults put down the coffee, break out the Jack Daniels, start drinking and everything. And pretty soon they're going to break into a fight. Entropy level goes up still. You let in those uh, monkeys. Remember Jumani? That movie Jumani? Remember those monkeys in that movie? Remember what they did to that room? You let them monkeys go through in that room. The entropy level goes through the roof. Now there's nothing more anthropic than fire. You let fire into the room. Fire will reduce that room to... The, the energy, that, that's the, the, the matter that's left can no longer be converted into work. It can no longer be used for anything. Fire sends the entropy level to the sky. 
Now, I think I wrote my last book, Death or Entropy, appears to be a latent characteristic of creation which, which tends to manifest itself in the absence of God's divine influence. And as you can see here, the Creator, God, ingeniously implanted this fail-safe mechanism within all creation to perpetually demonstrate the impossibility of life for any appreciable time without his divine influence. That's why God told Adam, Curse, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. For thus thou art, of the dust shalt thou return. You know, when I first read that, I said, What are you talking about, God? How, how could a curse be for my sake? What are you talking about? Well, the curse is to show man that crime doesn't pay. Okay? It is for our sake. Without the curse, we wouldn't know the penalty of goodness, of, of evil, and the blessings of goodness. We wouldn't know that. Okay? So, so man would see that, uh, what it says in Proverbs 14, 12. It says that there is, a, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Or how about Proverbs 12, 28, which says, But in the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. God was, he's, he, he's telling us also how to supersede the second law. Next slide, slide 17. Proverbs one twenty two says, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? Well, the second law says that the simple expenditure of energy is not sufficient to maintain order. Remember? What's adultery? Is it an ordered expenditure of energy or is it a simple expenditure of energy? It's a simple expenditure of energy. It doesn't create any order. In fact, it creates disorder. It destroys the individuals that, is, that are creating adultery. God says, uh, marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, it doesn't seem that way while they're doing it, or it doesn't seem that way for a while. And sure enough, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11, 8, 11, says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. But it matters not, because God's word says in Romans 12, 19, in Deuteronomy 32, 35, what does he say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. To me belongeth recompense. It says, their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the thing that shall come upon them, make haste. When it does, when 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 vengeance of God comes upon you, it comes upon you very swiftly. You never know what hits you. Next slide. I believe we're at slide 18. Now, in order to supersede the second law, which we now know defines the death process, temporarily, temporarily and locally, two physical things are required and must be present. A directing code and a power converting mechanism. The directing encode is the DNA molecule, which everybody, the trillions of cells in your body have DNA. They direct ordered replication of, of cells. When the DNA doesn't work, that's cancer. 
The difference between a cancer cell and a healthy cell excuse me, is that DNA doesn't work. Healthy cells, you look at them on a microscope, excuse me, <coughs> talking too fast. They, heart cells look like heart cells, liver cells look like liver cells, eye cells look like eye cells. Cancer cells don't look like anything that belongs in your body. They look like what Dr. Morris describes as a heterogeneous blob. Remember that movie, The Blob? That's what cancer is. This is the blob. It's just a blob of gloop. Power converting mechanism, we've already seen one example of the power converting mechanism. Photosynthesis is the, is the major power converting mechanism. It converts the sun's energy into sugar. Every ounce of energy you got in your body comes from the sun. But you can't utilize it without sugar. God gives us sugar. Sugar is the one thing that Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune ain't got. It ain't that they don't have. They ain't got it. Only on the Earth. Mars doesn't have it either. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. Now, through the parabolic principle, it's no stretch to realize that if there's a physical directing code and a physical power converting mechanism, then it follows. There has to be a spiritual directing code and a spiritual power converting mechanism. What's a spiritual directing code? The Word of God. Timothy 3.16. Thank you. The spiritual power converting mechanism is faith. God's power is everywhere, but there's no way you're going to tap into it without faith. What does he say? Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he must come to him, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Next slide, slide 20. Plus, there are numerous examples of God's ability to step in at any time he chooses and directly stay the hand of entropy. And the two most notable examples are the bush that burned that wasn't consumed and the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as Flip Wilson used to say, Shadrach, Meshach, and a big Negro. Okay, Moses was on Mount Sinai. He saw a bush that was burning. Now the second law, the law of entropy, would have suggested that it should have been burnt to a crisp. But it wasn't consumed. God was showing us that he alone has the power to stay the hand of entropy. Okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when he went into the fiery furnace, it was so hot, the people that put him in there, they were killed. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Did not we cast three into there? Behold, I see four. And one looks like the Son of God. Yeshua was there with them. When God is around, nothing dies. When God is around, there's no entropy. God stays the hand of entropy. Now, Isaac Asimov, who is a scientist, he says that in the game of entropy, you can't even break it even. But we know from the Bible, from Exodus 3.2 and Daniel 3.23-27, that that's not the case with God. In the game of entropy, if you're with God, you come out way ahead. 
You come up way ahead. Next slide, 21, I believe. Before Adam fell, there was no death, no entropy. Thus the whole planet Earth, just like Mount Sinai, was under what I call the holiness effect. And thus the whole planet Earth before Adam fell was holy ground because there was no death. God stayed the hand of entropy over the whole earth. But you know what happened? Adam's sin brought on the curse of entropy. God's word plainly says, Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So what's God's protocol for the restoration of man from the fall of Adam? Next slide, 22. 1 Corinthians 1.30. One of my favorites. You know what it says? But of him are ye in Messiah Yeshua, who of God is made unto us four things, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wisdom is simply being smart. Righteousness is being saved. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Sanctification is being good. Sanctification is avoiding sin by obeying God's word. Redemption being healed and delivered. Now, why is wisdom the first item on the list? Next slide. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. What's the difference between wisdom and understanding? A mother tells her two sons, Don't play in the street. You know how it is. The one child going to obey and another child ain't going to obey. The one child that obeys, he's wise. He says, Wait, my, my mom says don't play in the street. I don't know why, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey her. I'm wise enough to obey her. The, un, the other child says, eh, I'm going to play in the street. Dad, she doesn't know what you're talking about. Then he goes into the street one day and gets hit by a car. And now he's got two broken legs. Now he's got understanding as well as wisdom. He's got understanding. Next slide, 24. The spirit of wisdom, as referenced in Ephesians 1.17, is available to all men, irrespective of one's religious persuasion or the lack thereof. Next slide, 25. Proverbs 8.12 and 15 says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. By me, kings reign and princes de decree justice. What kings? All kings. Irrespective of their religious persuasion or the lack thereof. Likewise, princes. How do I know that? Next slide. Romans 4, 2, 14 and 15 says, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts to me, while accusing or else excusing one another. Remember God said in Genesis 6, 3, says, My, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. We read that in the uh, service today. Different words. Next slide, 27. God's spirit, which has never ceased to strive with all men, even irrespective of their religious persuasion or the lack thereof, is divided into two components. And the two components are described in Ephesians 
We got the spirit of wisdom, which is designed to lead man to God, and the revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. Next slide, 28. The spirit of wisdom, which enables man to discover the glory of God's creation through chemistry, physics, etc., is the spillover pot is the positive spillover benefit of that which was designed specifically to lead men to God. The, the best example that God gave us, the best example that God gave us this was a Jew called Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was a Jew, but Albert Einstein did not want to believe in the God of the Bible. Irrespective that, that he was a Jew. God gave Einstein his spirit of wisdom. In fact, I believe he had he had it sevenfold. Because people would say that Einstein could be thinking of seven different things at one time. It's no accident that God gave Einstein the mathematical wherewithal. He gave him the, the math to prove Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Before that, atheistic scientists wanted to prove that there was no God. So they had to prove that the universe is what they call a steady state. It's eternal. If it's steady state, eternal, no God. Einstein was was working on these equations of quantum physics and this general relativity, and he stumbled upon it. He says his mathematical formulas were telling him that the universe is expanding and decelerating. But all he had to do was read. Jeremiah 15, 51, which says, talks about God who stretched out the heavens. Okay? The figures were telling them, hey, the universe is expanding and decelerating. That means that it proceeded from a point of singularity where the whole universe, all the stars, all the planets, all the nebulas, all the matter of the universe was reduced to the space the size of nothing, but with infinite density. Now, how can the universe be reduced when all that mass be reduced to the space the size of nothing? Where's the room for the infinite density? It's in another dimension. It's in a spirit room where God is, where the infinite God is. That's where it is. So Einstein's equations were, were God's spirit of wisdom was with Einstein, irrespective of the fact that he didn't believe, he didn't want to believe in God. And he, they, they led him to a trail that led to God. But because there's no math, there's no chemistry, there's no quantum physics or Newtonian physics that can tell you what happened prior to the point of singularity, when you follow that mathematical trail that leads you to the point of singularity, that leads you to Genesis 1-1, that leads you to God, without believing in, the, in God, the trail turns cold. The trail turns cold. Einstein said, whoa, no, I don't want to believe in God. And you know what he did? He applied this cosmological constant to his own figures. God was like, hey, here I am. All right? I'm giving it to you, Einstein. You're a Jew. What does Romans 3.2 says about the Jews? Unto them were committed the oracles of God. God could have gave this to a Greek, to a Roman, to Egyptian. No, he gave it to a Jew. 
Because unto them were committed the oracles of God. But Einstein didn't want to believe it. And I think he, he held on to that for about 20 years. And then he recanted and then he said, you know, my cosmological constant was the biggest mistake of my life. I think the honor was with the Jews. God gave Einstein his spirit of wisdom, and I believe seven portions. And it proved Genesis 1-1. It debunked Immanuel Kant's steady state universe. Oh, there's no God. Universe has always been here. No. Universe had a beginning. That points to Genesis 1-1. Okay. The second part of Genesis 6-3, the part about for that he, man, is also flesh, determines the degree to which man is rendered incapable of achieving the second, the second part of the spirit of wisdom, the revelation of the knowledge of him. For Galatians 6.8 says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Next slide, 29. But the extent to which man soweth to the spirit in turn determines the extent one receives the revelation in the knowledge of him. Howbeit, Galatians 6 8 says, But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life. That's how it works. Next slide, 30. And there apparently are two stages of God's restoration process of 1 Corinthians 1 30. One, receiving the gifts of the Spirit. Acts 2.38 says, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And two, the second stage is being filled with the Holy Ghost. Being filled with the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the, the Spirit. Next slide, 31. On the left side is just the, the simple, run-of-the-mill, everyday, normal Christian got the gift of the Spirit. All Christians got the gift of the Spirit. They got the wisdom, they got the righteousness, they got the sanctification and redemption. But God wants you to be filled. He wants you to go to the next stage. Wisdom, simple wisdom, on the left, when you're filled with the Spirit, you get the Spirit of wisdom. Righteousness, the simple gift, but being filled, you get more and more of the revelation of the knowledge of Him. That's why David Schiller, when he preaches, how many times did you see him? He gets up here, he's so full of emotion, of this revelation of knowledge, he starts crying. Tears of joy. Why? He's, he's full of the revelation and the knowledge of Him. That's why He cries. I've never seen, well, I, haven't, I can't recall seeing preachers get up here almost every week and He gets up here and He's crying. I want what He, what he got. You know? Yes. Sanctification. There's simple sanctification gifts, 
But if you fill with the Spirit, you get the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling. There's simple, everyday, ordinary redemption. You know, being delivered, healed a little bit. But then, when you're filled with it, you realize the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe. How does that scripture go? Unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Next slide. Now, slide 32. we got to go back to Proverbs 8, 12. It says, I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. You know, when I first read that, I said, what is God talking about? That's an odd thing to say. What's he talking about? It wasn't until years later that he revealed to me what he, exactly what he's talking about. Next slide. He's talking about, he says, I, which we now know is the wisdom, which is the spirit of wisdom from Ephesians 1, uh, 1.17. I, the spirit of wisdom, through my infinite knowledge, because God is all-knowing, right? We'll find out just how prudent man's witty inventions turned out to be. For I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. First witty invention comes to mind is a commercial fertilizer. Nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, NPK. I got a bill from uh, True Green says, okay, we put 10 pounds of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium on your grass. And sure enough, it's really, really green. Plants only need nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. That's all they need. It gives them the farmer max yield in terms of tons and bushels so they can repay their operating debt. But if, if plants were just growing for plants, that's all they would be required. But plants are grown for humans. Humans need 84 minerals. The Jews put cow manure, horse manure on the farmland. What does that do? It recycles the minerals. But man says, hey, we don't need all that. Let's put some NPK on the farmland and we get max yield in terms of tons and bushels. And what's happening? We got a $3 trillion plus health care bill in this country. People are mineral deficient. Half the time when you go get drugs, what you really need is minerals. You're, you got a mineral deficiency. Do you know what cancer, what the thing that causes cancer? DNA damage. Guess what I found out? 92% of DNA damage is caused by mineral deficiency. Yeah. Okay, well, I said, well, okay, well, unless I'm eating. It, when you go to the, uh, or, when you get organic fruits and vegetables, you're going to get the minerals. But when you don't eat organic, all bets are off. There's no guarantee that you got minerals in that food that you're buying. You say, oh, I'm eating all the spinach, thinking I'm getting all, no, you're not. No, you're not. Well, okay. God always gives us a plan B. Okay, they don't get the minerals in the food, they'll get it in the salt. Wrong. Another woody invention, table salt. All salt comes from the sea. God put 84 minerals in his salt. They are very important to you. I found out that the same minerals that are in your blood, in the exact proportion, is in sea salt. It's in seawater. 
But this table salt, they stripped it of its minerals. All it has is sodium, uh, chloride, and maybe some potassium iodine. Yeah. And caking agents and all that stuff. It's got stuff. That table salt will kill you. And so people are not eating. They're on low salt. But you need salt. You need oxygen. Then you need water. Then you need salt. Then you need potassium. We need salt. But the table salt's no good. What did Yeshua say? He gave us a lesson in chemistry. Matthew 5.13. You know what he said? Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. That table salt is thenceforth good for nothing. But if you get sea salt with the minerals, and the only ones that I, could, that I know about, that, I, that I've studied, is Himalayan salt, Celtic salt, and there's a gentleman who has land over in Salt Lake City. He found out he had a salt mine underneath his land, and he goes down to get the salt. It's called real salt. Okay? Why is salt so important? Well, you're not getting the minerals from the, from the farmland, but you need them from the, you need them from the salt. Why, why is it so important? Two-thirds I found out from uh, Harvey Diamond, who wrote the book Fit for Life, A New Beginning, that two-thirds of the people in this country die every year of three things. Cancer, heart disease, diabetes. Cancer, heart disease, diabetes. Two-thirds, more than hurricanes or getting shot or uh, even natural causes. Do you know what the minerals in the sea salt do for you? They, they help protect you from cancer, heart disease, and diabetes. Cancer is caused by an acid pH, according to Otto Warburg. He won a Nobel Prize in 1931, because he figured it out. When your body pH gets to 5.5, you're a perfect candidate for cancer. What does a sea salt, Himalayan salt, Celtic salt do? They alkalize your body pH. If you alkalize your body pH... You can't get cancer. Right? And it's giving you the minerals that's going to that's gonna heal your DNA. It also normalizes your blood sugar to help you with the diabetes thing. And it also normalizes your blood pressure. I didn't say lower, I said normalizes. Which means if your blood pressure is too low, it'll bring it up to normal. If it's too high, it'll bring it down to normal. But... Man is taking, taking it out. The next two, last two woody inventions I want to talk about. Those woody inventions that I just mentioned, heaven and earth have recorded that they weren't very prudent, were they? Next woody invention is the word church. The word church. Guess what? The word church ain't supposed to be in the Bible. When, uh, who was that, William Tyndall? When he translated the Greek and the Hebrew and the English, every time he came across the word ecclesia, which means congregation or assembly, he put congregation or assembly. But Henry VIII broke away from the Catholic Church, right? The word church is a Greco-Roman term. The Roman Catholics, they invented that term. The head of the Church of England is the British monarch. The first head was Henry VIII. And then his grandson, King James, 
he oversaw the printing of the King James Bible, the Bible that I like. The only thing that I found that I don't like is that we're a church in the King James Bible. That was a result of him. Uh, he had 16 edicts. The third edict was that every time you come across the word Ecclesia, do not put congregation. You put church. Okay? So, why is this so bad? The word church tends to separate us into denominations. Okay? But congregations serves to bring us together. It was the congregation at Ephesus. It was the congregation at Corinth. Congregation at Thessalonica. It wasn't a, a church of this or a church of that. And there's some churches They say, well, one church in particular that I know of, I won't mention it, but it said, if you're not in my church and you're in one of them other churches, you're not even saved. Well, how can they say that if the word church ain't even supposed to be in there? So that's another witty invention. And the last witty invention I want to talk about is the term race. Race. Race is a witty invention of man. There is no such thing as race. How do I know it? For one thing, you will not find the term race anywhere in God's Bible. People say, oh, it's a household word now. Racial relations, race this, race that. You know where the, you know where the term race comes from? You know where it comes from? It comes from Charles Darwin in the evolutionist. The term race means subspecies. Like tigers and cats are subspecies. Horses and donkeys are subspecies. Darwin was saying that the black man and the white man are subspecies. But God disproved it with our first black president, Barack Obama. Barack Obama had a black father and a white mother. According to Darwin, his black father and his white mother were subspecies. So, you know what? When you, when you artificially inseminate a horse with donkey sperm, you know what you get? You get a mule. But to prove that they were subspecies and it was a freak of nature and it wasn't supposed to happen, all mules are sterile. All mules are sterile. So if Barack Obama's father, subspecies, and Barack Obama's mother, subspecies, produced him... It was a freak of nature. He's not even supposed to be here. But he is. And if he's the proverbial mule, he would be sterile. Barack Obama's got two kids. It's not a race. It's not a race. There's no such thing as race. Now, Dr. Morris, when he was studying Gregor Mendel's genetics, he found out something that completely debunks race. You know what he, he says, and I quote, he says, they found out that as long as there's a large population with a free gene flow, presumably the way it was in the beginning, the population will tend to exhibit a fairly constant set of dominant characteristics. In other words, everyone looks alike. That's probably the way it was before the Tower of Babel, right? Everyone looked alike. Now he said the, variation, the variational potential of any organism kind, such as mankind, is tremendously, tremendously diverse. And we see these variations in the so-called races, what Darwin mistakenly called a race. But the variations, the things that make us look different, are more recessive than dominant. Recessive than dominant. Just like blue eyes is a recessive term, obsessive trait, brown eyes is dominant. And he says that if any of the recessive characteristics ever have a chance of becoming typical, 
somehow a subpopulation would have become isolated from the main population and forced to propagate those recessive characteristics by inbreeding. By inbreeding. And the only place you're going to find out how that happened is this document right here. It talks about the Tower of Babel. When God came down and confounded the languages, hey, you can't talk to a woman, you can't marry her. I know some couples, married couples, they got problems communicating and they speak the same language. <laughs> Let alone, you don't speak the language. You can't talk to a man, you cannot conduct business. So people began to isolate in subpopulations according to their tongue and began to inbreed and became typical. Darwin pulls it, well, <laughs> I'm going to say that. Tar, Dar, Charles Darwin mistakenly called it a race. There's no such thing as race. And he did that because Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, was subtitled The Preservation of the Favorite Races in the Struggle for Existence. You know what he said? He said, Homo erectus evolved into Homo sapiens, and in some not-too-distant future, when all the lesser races are killed off, it'll make way for what he calls Homo supremus, Superman. Isn't that the same thing Hitler was talking about? He said the Aryan race, we're the Superman. He actually said that. And his job, so he thought, was to kill off all the lesser races to make way for Homo Supremus, Superman. So that's why they talk about survival of the fittest. They didn't care about them animals. He used the animals to prove Homo Supremus. So, if you still want to talk about, if you still want to eat table salt or not eat organic food or talk about church rather than, rather than congregation or talk about race, then I guess the Declaration of Independence was spot on. You know what it said? It said, accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. Remember that? Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. But then it says, but whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, you know, farming practices is a form of government. Because it determines whether you live or die. So does nutritional practices. So does religious practice. So does your mores and folkways, like, like race. They're forms of government because they, they govern people's lives. It says, whenever any form of government becomes destructive, destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new governments. What? Laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its, its powers in such forms? as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Then he says, then it says, prudence indeed shall dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light or transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But then it says, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object Events are defined to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right. It is their duty to throw off such governments 
and to provide new guards for their future security. And I believe when we look at man's 6,000-year history of walking away from God and establishing false religions and unsound practices, when we look at man's 6,000-year history of war, murder, suffering of every sort, people doing naughty and hurtful things to one another, I think we've witnessed the long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object. And I say unto you, events are defined to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is your right. It is your duty to throw off such governments and to provide new guards for your future security. One more thing i got to show you that I missed. The last slide. We're talking about church. The last slide. Slide number 34. Okay, you got Psalms 22.22 and you got Hebrews 2.12. Hebrews 2.12 is supposed to be a direct quote from Psalms 22.22. Psalms 22.22 says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. The Hebrew word for congregation is kahal. Now when they, when King James, under King James order, when they copied it, look at what they did with it. They said, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. How come they didn't put congregation like Psalms 22-22? They didn't do that. But they put church. I believe that this mistake, God, God ingeniously put that in there so that we, we, could, we could find our way back. So that we could find our way back. This is no accident. God left evidence in here that the word church ain't supposed to be in the Bible. Okay? So, it is your right, it is your duty to throw off such governments and to provide new guards for your future security. And the only place that you're going to find time-tested, time-proven guards for your future security is this document right here. This document right here. You know? Look no further. It's right here. Time-tested. I was going to play the piano, but I don't think I have time. Uh, but God wanted, you know, I, I wanted to play the piano for you, but... God gave me so much as you make sure you tell them this. You make sure they know this. This is this is the important thing. The, the piano is just gravy. So I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you, David Schiller, for the opportunity. Thank you.